Welcome to episode 191 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Welcome back to another episode. Um, right before logging on for this, I was working with some of my students and I had um, had come up with a new way to use ChatGPT, which I always am loving. But I also had this like rude awakening of like the best laid plans sometimes don't go how you're planning and that, mm. you know, there's no one size fits all when it comes to speech therapy. So I had had some emails recently that had come in that I had to like figure out a diplomatic way to respond to. <laughs> and that's one way that I have used chat GPT and I have, you know, some educators in my family and they said that as well, that like when they have those really heightened emotions that sometimes when it's great to say, what's a professional way that I can say, you know, and then you insert the feelings that you're having at that point <laughs> and mm-hmm. then can figure out what's the nice way to say that. So I was sitting there thinking about if I'm using this and I am neurotypical Debatably, but mostly neurotypical. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I have this tool, then how useful could it be to my students that are neurodivergent? So I started talking to them about that, showed them what I had done, even at my work and with no disabilities and using it. And I had one student that was seemed really into it. We thought of a couple example scenarios. He analyzed like what, you know, ChatGPT had said and came up with like what he, how he would kind of use that to put it in his own words. And it worked great. And then I pulled it out for the next student and he seemed kind of interested. And then I started doing it and explaining it and he completely shut down. And said that he is scared of AI and listed all of these reasons that are like completely valid and like that it's he's worried and it was you know very he seemed very well informed it's a teenager so we don't know where he's getting it from Mm -hmm. but he seemed very well informed about things like I don't know if it has a bias based on race and sex and all of these things and I don't know what they're doing with this information and and he was very concerned about it and I was you know validated yeah that's something that a lot of people are concerned about here are some solutions that I've found like I just use it for ideas. I don't copy and paste and repeat exactly what it told me to say. And I also don't put personal information about it. I leave as much personal information out about me or my clients that I possibly can. But just an example of, you know, some some tools are going to work for some people and some tools are not going to work for others. And so... But I think it's a neat way to think about using AI and really give our kids that immediate feedback of, would it be okay if I said this this way? Because it says, it gives you feedback about, yes, that's a clear, concise answer. And that's just another tool of a way that they can get it from that maybe is something that they're already really interested in and capable of using. I agree. I think it's, I think it's going to be a great tool. I think mm-hmm. we're, we're in that stage of filling out you know, feeling our way with how it's going to be used and how can we do it ethically yeah. and, and safely. I did notice on the, what is it, the Microsoft brand, the Microsoft version of their AI, 
which I'm blanking on the name of because it just came out, but they have a private mode that you can switch on. Mm. And so I assume that means it's not going to be sharing what you're typing in. Yeah, collecting the data for it. Right. But, uh, you know, I think we need to get more information and have that judgment, make that judgment. But I think we're going to have to have some safeguards going forward, but we're still in the the wild west of AI right now is kind of yes. a, all over the place, and we're we're going to have to come together and have some of these rules and regulations. Unfortunately, that we need to mm-hmm. sort of uh, govern what we do, police what we do a little bit, especially yeah. when you're yeah. talking about teenagers and all these things. Yeah, but sure. having a way that they can test, in a sense, how they want to say something. Mm-hmm. And getting feedback on it, I mm-hmm. think that's a, a very therapeutic way of you know handling it. It's, it's another yeah. tool. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a good idea. Well, speaking of tools and 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 resources, we have the authors of the SLP Entrepreneur. It's a book by you know through Plural Publishing to spin out, uh, and we have Sonia Sedicoli and. Adrian Wallace with us, and and they're going to talk about the book, and they're going to talk a little bit about corporate speech language pathology and the corporate speech pathology network, Great. and we can learn more about all that. We want to congratulate Presence for reaching the incredible milestone of six million remote evaluations and teletherapy sessions. Presence is a pioneer in special education and mental health teletherapy, and they're making a real impact in solving the national shortage of school clinicians with nearly 10,000 pre-K to 12th grade schools supported across the nation. At Presence, they're on a mission to empower schools and clinicians by breaking down the traditional barriers to success through their elevated approach to teletherapy. As a trusted partner and advocate for clinicians since 2009, Presence offers its large community of teletherapy providers access to an award-winning platform with assessment and therapy materials, continuing education, and networking opportunities to help them succeed. Through ongoing clinically-led resources and support, Presence is meeting the needs and creating career opportunities for clinicians today, wherever they are. Presence is teletherapy elevated. Learn more at Presence.com. Adrian and Sonia, welcome to the podcast. Uh, let's start off. Could you, could both of you sort of share your background and how you got into speech-language pathology? Adrian, why don't you start? Sure. First of all, thank you so much for having us on the podcast. Um, I've been following you for a while, so it's an honor. I actually kind of stumbled upon speech language pathology. When I started college, I was an accounting major thinking that I wanted to be a business person and carry a briefcase to the office and wear a nice (laughs) suit. And then after my first semester in college, I did some self-reflection and I realized that that was not me. And I wanted to do something in the helping profession, but I didn't want to be a teacher. So back then we actually had the physical course catalog. So I was flipping through the pages, looking for something, working with kids. I don't know, maybe something with sign language. And I found Mm -hmm. communication disorders. So I took my first intro to communication disorders course and fell in love. I was like, yes, this is it. 
I can help in the way that I want without the commitments of being a classroom teacher. Um, and so that's kind of how I found the profession. Awesome. So uh, yes, thank you both for having us here. We're excited to be here and talk with you. So my journey began probably my senior year, the summer before my senior year in high school. I had always been on the fence of whether to go into either medicine or education. And that summer, my grandmother had a stroke. And after her stroke, I later <laughs> realized she was aphasic. So um, at that time, there was no speech language pathologist that could effectively treat her in her you know, heritage language, um, even though she spoke English, but it was not um, her primary language. So my family and I ended up serving as translators, and that was my first real introduction into the medical side of speech pathology. So having been brought up and raised as a multilingual individual and then minoring in Spanish to help a wider variety of uh, patients and students and clients, I um, delved into speech-language pathology and have had a career filled with healthcare experiences as well as educational experiences, along with the, the corporate um, experiences, but all having some flavor of multicultural or multilingual um, client base and population as well, which I love. <laughs> right. And, and it's uh, allowed you to have that sort of variety of experiences. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel as though our field is now getting more and more specialized or it's maybe easier to do so. Right. Um, and I have always been interested in both ends of the spectrum in terms of age-wise, but also clinical diagnoses and educational diagnoses or developmental diagnoses, but then also not only clinical or traditional um, forms of speech-language pathology service delivery, but also more of the corporate or non-traditional or alternative um, things that we can do with our expertise. Excellent. And uh, Adrian, you, you have done a great deal of telepractice as well, haven't you? Yes, I have. I got started very early. Um, a couple years out of college, I was working for a school in rural Pennsylvania. And I will never forget, one day I literally could not make it to work because I was stuck at the bottom of the mountain in my four-cylinder <laughs> sedan, and it was just not doing the job. <laughs> so I had yes. to call in and say, sorry, I can't make it. I'm trying, but I can't. I'm just stuck in the snow. So I realized at that point that I needed to change something. Um, so I did ask my supervisor, who was a principal of my primary school location at the time, if I could try out working with kids online. I didn't have any prior knowledge or experience, but I had been <laughs> traveling about an hour at mm. least each way mm. to wow. different school sites. And I was like, this is not very efficient. Like, why am I doing this? I spent half of the day in the car. So I got permission to try out telepractice. And we did actually have some training with online learning tools. So I had learned how to use a video conferencing platform. I actually had 
um, experience with using a webcam and headset, but I didn't know as far as treatment materials and assessments, what to actually yeah. put these kids online. Yeah. So that was a steep learning curve for me. And this was back in 2008. So I'm wow. a 15 year veteran. I wear that badge wow. proudly <laughs> going on 16. Um, oh, and man. I really have fallen in love with telepractice. Once I switched, of course, the commute helps, right? Going from <laughs> driving an hour to walking across the hall to my home office. Yeah. But yeah. having the opportunity to reach students, I've worked with kids across the country, um, just being able to really be efficient and reach a lot of people in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. So that part of it, I started kind of in the school um, setting, but then as a professional, being able to work with adults, mostly English language mm-hmm. learners, but helping them with their communication skills and public speaking skills online as well. So I've done a lot of that over the past 15 years. That's great. Well, you, you started, you, um, I'm sorry, again. go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. You started before it, way before it was cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and to do it on your own without like a, you know, a company or a platform or anything like that, that kind of guide you and you just saw a need and jumped in. I love that. Yeah. And that's, that's sort of when we started camp, I mean, around that 2008, 2009 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. time period. Uh, and we, we, know how hard it was then you know to try to get connected very different than it is now but then it was it was it was a struggle to make it all work absolutely it was hard to find other slps who were doing telepractice back then right so now thankfully we've come a long way you know we have podcasts such as this there are materials online Mm -hmm. and so many different resources and trainings but i remember you used to have to travel to maine if you wanted to learn how to do telepractice that's right And you would, you know, take an in-person class to learn how to do online service delivery, right? (laughs) Yeah, it kind of just didn't go. Yeah. It doesn't match very well. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, but we've definitely come a very, very long way since then. So the original pioneers, we kind of worked independently a lot, but then being able to build Mm -hmm. community. And I think our telepractice community obviously is growing, but is also tight-knit as far as providing support and guidance to each other. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to, and so anyone, have you done telepractice? Yes. And like Adrian, I was doing it before it was cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I so. yeah. So not, not uh, our business models for our private practices were different. I yeah. had, um, you know, started off with a brick and mortar space, but in conjunction with that, because I was doing, um, both clinical as well as corporate, I was offering online services as well at the time. So I was doing it pre-COVID, but that made the shift to seeing patients and clients uh, during COVID that much mm-hmm. easier. Um, even even when you know I was doing bilingual language evals for school districts, and typically I would go into the school, but it was nice to be able to log into their remote learning to do a classroom observation or uh, get a peek into their home environment if I was doing the evaluation, you know, online. Mm-hmm. So uh, there, it, it made that transition that much easier when it was more necessary during the pandemic. Yeah. For but sure. The tools available now are vast. <laughs> right. For sure. Especially in evaluation, because I feel like a lot of publishers 
um there were some there that were available online but i feel like a lot of publishers didn't really see a need to put everything online until the pandemic and then they were like oh yeah we have to figure out how to do this and we haven't built it already and now it's you know there's still some that are hard to find online but it's relatively easy all of my assessments that I have I have in an online format from the publishers right right and you know with the corporate SLP work that we do it makes it 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 makes it much easier to work with that type of clientele as well, just because a lot of times when you're working on professional speaking um, or leadership communication, executive presence training, you're working with professionals that are very busy or in, you know, very busy uh, positions that have them traveling all over the world. So it's nice to be able to have that facility available and to be well-versed in it from our clinical work. Um, Yeah. So that's, that is that, so I'm, when I'm thinking of terms for SLPs, we all know educational, we all don't know medical. Tell me more about what a corporate SLP does. Well, what can't a corporate SLP do? <laughs> <laughs> that's the way I like to phrase it. There I love go. it. Adrian, you go. You, you Seriously? Think. So Sonia is like the past and present um, president of CoreSpan, the Corporate right. Speech Pathology Network. She's the official spokesperson, um, but she wants me to start. So with that, um, and it's interesting because I actually started when I was working in the schools, like a couple years out of grad school, I started working with English language learners just as a part-time job, just for fun. And I enjoyed it. And later, you know, I found myself after I had already been an SLP for 10 years and went back to school to get my MBA. And I was preparing to start my own business. And I was faced with a decision. What clients do I want to work with? Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a lot of years of experience with pediatric, but I still kind of felt that tug to work with those English language learners. And um, I thought accent modification, I could definitely do that. Hmm, I see other people doing public speaking. I'm not sure I know how to do that. I don't think I have the skills or the training to do that. And so I had this kind of internal battle. I started with accent modification. Then I did add the public speaking and presentation skills, realizing, of course, who else is better prepared (laughs) or equipped to help people speak in public than speech language pathologists. So our skills being able to help people communicate, we're really experts in that. So we're not looking at a lens of a disorder, but a difference or something that people want to enhance professionally. So working with individuals in, you know, in a variety of industries, whether it's doctors, lawyers, um, police officers, it can be anyone who wants to improve their public speaking skills. So as corporate speech pathologists, sometimes we're working with individuals one-on-one or even going into organizations and companies and helping them train their staff or their leaders in communication and a variety of you know, skills that they'll need to be successful in even climb the corporate ladder, so to speak. How did I do, Sonia? I did great. <laughs> I think I think the easiest transition for SLPs working in either the medical field or educational field, um, when they dip into corporate SLP, I think accent modification is probably the easiest. Um, 
transition. But then there are, like Adrian was saying, so many different things that you can do um, in terms of presentation skills training or even, you know, delving into more leadership communication and executive presence training. And a lot of the times, you know, I, I find myself now more and more with um, different organizations talking about cultural and linguistic diversity training. So, which is, you know, our workforce in all different industries is becoming more and more diverse. Um, and communication is at the foundation of all of that, right? So, who better than communication experts such as ourselves to give them a little bit of knowledge and expertise and strategies to be the most effective communicators, which means more effective organizations and more effective business for um, those businesses. So it's fun. It's a it's a good way to use our expertise in a in a different way. Right. And a lot of it happens via <laughs> Right. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But and it's what I think it's training. It's it's not therapy, um, mm -hmm. but remotely, there's lots that you can do. Sorry, Adrian, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, it's fine. What I find interesting when I was in school, we had to take some sort of counseling course. And I'm like, okay, what is this? And why do I need this as a speech language pathologist? But those skills, it's not therapy in the sense of, you know, working on a deficit or disorder. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times you're overcoming so many mental blocks that people have, um, like professionals, especially working with a lot of people who are kind of on a management track. Maybe they've been in their position for so long. And they're like, I want to. I know I can do this. I have the skills, but I'm not a good communicator. Mm -hmm. um, and just trying to give them the confidence that you can do this. Don't let, you know, communication be that barrier for you. That's why we're there to help. And it's people who want to improve, but they don't know how, which is why they seek out that support of a yeah. coach or someone to guide them along that way. That that sounds like a good break from all of the kids who are there <laughs> seeing me because their mom made <laughs> Don't want to be there, right? Some some intrinsic motivation sounds lovely at this point with my afternoon of teenagers that I saw. Yeah. So an interesting piece of all of this too is though when the pandemic happened and all these organizations went remote or virtual, mm -hmm. now people are finding themselves being on camera that are maybe sitting in the corner during a in-person meeting now you know the camera's right on them so i've found clients have needed you know some help or some and it's a lot, many times it's boosting their communication confidence so yeah. seeing what their their skills they possess and just helping to bring those out or make them aware of what they can um work on to improve and enhance their performance but so using virtual <laughs> coaching methods to help them with their virtual communication. Virtual communication. Yeah. Right. That's great. So weird it works well. It mm -hmm. works better than trying to be in person with them and tell them how they would look and present if they were in the box online, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. And so would you Sonia, would you ask them to like, let's pretend you're gonna do a presentation in front of your the team that you're leading, how would you, I mean, is that how you would sort of set it up? A hundred percent. So okay. I, 
I set it up, even though, again, this is nothing disordered and there's right. no therapy or um, any diagnosis involved. I approach each client, whether that's an individual or a group, the same way we do in our clinical practice, you know, doing an assessment. And that includes a self-assessment, um, a baseline, sending me a, a recording, a video, filling out questionnaires about where they think they are, what goals they want to do. We set up smarter goals together and um, working through that. So there's not as much paperwork involved, which is great, but yeah. uh, same same way so that they can have some tangible goals that they can meet within a, a time um, boundary that they want and something that's functional and meaningful to them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So is it usually individuals that are contacting you that want to work with you or is, is it ever like a whole company or a corporate entity that's like, we want you to come in a, for our team or for a certain individual on our behalf? Um, I would say it's typically individuals. However, having said that, there are many times where one individual from a certain organization will go back and then whoever found us <laughs> will yeah. ask us to come back and do a training. Or there's other, other um, organizations that are like, hey, my team is, my sales team is having some difficulty with their storytelling or um, their communication. So can you come and do a, a workshop or a presentation? And, you know, it's one thing to go and talk for a keynote for an hour or two, but that's not really the most functional. And that's not what mm -hmm. we do as <laughs> right. trained, uh, therapists, right? So right. Uh, the most effective is when it's a working workshop to really focus in and hone in on those skills. I, I had an experience many years ago where I was, I think I was in grad school and uh, there was a, a woman who was sent in by her boss to improve her communication. Mm -hmm. This is going to leave it at, at that. But she was not happy to be there. <laughs> she thought she communicated <laughs> just fine. So um, I'm sure you probably encounter some of those issues that come up that, you know, the the boss is making them go, you need to go do this. And they're like, I don't want to do this. How do you handle those situations or, or do those not come up? Well, I will, I will say slightly the opposite happens sometimes <laughs> in okay. the sense that specifically, you know, when we are talking about someone with a quote, non-native accent, right? Mm -hmm. Well, they say, I just want to get rid of my accent. Well, yeah. slow down. Why? <laughs> and we all have accents. Um, a lot of times, like Adrian was saying, you know, we do have that counseling piece in our curriculum. So it comes in handy in a lot of these circumstances, because really peeling back the layers of why is it that you're seeking out this, this type of um, training or mm -hmm. um, enhancing enhancement, right? So a lot of times it's not your accent. I can understand you just fine. I haven't gotten any feedback from my colleagues or anything. I just feel like I need to sound differently. Well, maybe it's not your accent, but it's something else. It's your storytelling ability or your thought organization. So or even really just confidence too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, really making sure that um, it's something that they're 
self-motivated to do, or there's something um, meaningful that's going to come out of it. Because, you know, a lot of times they'll say, oh, I should just get rid of my accent and sound more American. Well, that <laughs> there's many different ways to sound American, right? So, mm-hmm. so right. Uh, it, it's really important to kind of really dig into why, why um, they're needing it. And again, it's not to take away anyone's cultural identity. When we do um, get into some accent modification therapy, uh, treatment, accent modification training or coaching. Um, but it's more to just be effective communicators, but more natural. And a lot of times the ones that come because someone sent them, it's important in those cases too, to really peel back the, un- <laughs> the, the sure. layers to, to know, is this really just that this person is being sent um, over and also making them self-aware. If it is purely a communication um, issue, really making sure that you know they can see why they need to be there. So mm-hmm. kind of building that awareness, if it is something that's obvious, something that in their 360 reviews, they're getting you know feedback from their colleagues and their teams, mm-hmm. well, that's, that's not going to benefit you in your job, in your role, in your career, in the advancement of your career. So helping them become aware, um, but really making sure that it's just that they're there when somebody else is sending them. Sorry, that was a long answer. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that the self-awareness is a biggest part, whether it's someone sent them where they came themselves, they may think, oh, I need to work on my accent. You're like, well, you need to work on your public speaking skills, or I need to work on my public speaking skills. Like, have you considered that you have these other five things that you might want to also work (laughs) on? So that's why Sonia mentioned the self-assessment. I do self-assessments all the time for my new clients, but I've actually started doing them in my classes. I teach college Mm. courses in management and entrepreneurship. So you have those students who kind of have a chip on their shoulder. They're like, oh, I'm a great public speaker. I don't need to work on anything. And I say, everyone can get better, but you say you're great. Mm -hmm. That's fine. You know, who am I to argue? Everyone does a self-assessment. I think I have 10 to 15 statements and then they have to say, what one or two areas do they want to improve? Like the ones that they rated a one or two, people always have at least one thing that they rated a one or two. Even Mm -hmm. if you, a lot of times people don't think about all of the facets of communication. There's nonverbal, there's inflection, there's tone, there's eye contact, there are gestures. So there are so many nuances that you may not have even considered. And that's the part that we kind of have to help people kind of recognize. If you don't want to change it, it's fine. But did you know that you do that? Right. And having, you know, the ability to record and that's where, you know, telepractice helps a lot. I record the clients every session and say, all right, you're looking back this recording and, you know, so you can actually see yourself. A lot of times we don't have that mirror in front of us to know what it is that we actually look like or sound like to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, One other thing that I wanted to ask about on you guys have been very careful with saying coaching versus treatment where is there a line that's drawn in that or where do you guys draw the line and why is that an important distinction to make 
it is a line. Yeah. <laughs> it is a very clear line in the sand hey. that we do not want to cross or touch yeah. the 10 foot pole. <laughs> um, and I think there are several reasons for that. Number one, as you know, speech language pathologists, we're trained and taught and groomed to identify a disorder and treat it, right? right? Identify a disorder and treat it. When people are coming to us with something that they want to change that is not a disorder, there's no treatment for it, right? Right. So just like I would go see a life coach or a business coach or a fitness coach or anyone who I want because I'm seeking them out to help me, I don't have a disorder. I don't have a disease. Mm -hmm. I don't need to go to a doctor, but this is what I want to change and improve and enhance. And I think um, another component of it, especially when you look at the accent modification and what words are okay to use when we talk about that, it's not reduction, it's modification, it's not modification, it's enhancement. Just because we want to be culturally sensitive Mm -hmm. and not say that someone is speaking incorrectly, it's not incorrect, it's just different, right? So I think we're trying to be very careful for many reasons. I'm just... uh, touching on a couple of them. I'll let Sonia mm-hmm. continue the rest. <laughs> and I think, you know, the, especially I'm going to touch on that, especially related to accent modification, which accent modification we know is not the greatest terminology for it either, but yeah, it's right. what we have <laughs> for, right. for right now. But, you know, the goal of accent modification is really there's, there's probably a misconception because maybe this is what historically was happening, but the is, you know, to take away cultural identity and make us all sound alike. We don't want that, right? right? We want more diversity in our talent, in our leadership, in our organizations, because we know diverse businesses, diverse organizations are better businesses, are better organizations, just by the way of the fact that we can work with people from all over the world via telepractice or via remote uh, virtual conferences, mm-hmm. that that means our our workforce is going to be more and more diverse. Yeah. And when we're talking about one language, English, that has so many different dialects, even American English, we have so many different dialects of American English, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it is to be more effective communicators. So everybody is an effective communicator. They are more um, natural sounding, not robotic or not where I'm s- focusing so much on my pronunciation. Now I'm distracting my audience with <laughs> what right. I sound like, you know, I'm focusing too much on it versus the naturalness of it. So it's really to promote that diversity of talent and leadership and really we are doing it um because we we have that lens too the counseling lens too to to really make sure that this is really what's needed and it's not the fact that okay you talk like this all the time and it's really mm-hmm. distracting right. right that's what's distracting not not the fact that you and i pronounce our s's differently you know that that right. that's um the main piece of that. So it's really coaching, it's really enhancement, and it's really something elective. It's it's not something that, um, you know, is necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and does that impact things like where you can practice or what license you need to practice or any of that as well? That's a great question, Kim. <laughs> 
or is it one of those things that we're still figuring out? I, I, I believe, you know, it, while these business communication types of practices are in our scope of practice, yeah, you don't have to be a licensed speech language pathologist to give to these, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, services. And a lot of times, um, you know, there are other professionals that do this type of corporate communication work, uh, whether it's accent or whether it's business communication skills or presentation skills that don't necessarily have the more comprehensive communication lens that we have. So as long as, uh, you know, it's really important that when you're working in that corporate space to not cross those ethical lines. Um, So if you think that somebody has a voice disorder, they need to be referred to a clinical specialist, a speech Mm -hmm. language pathologist or a voice pathologist that can, um, you know, assess that. And if that's mm-hmm. you in a clinical setting, then <laughs> right. that the, but you're draw- you're putting those different hats on and drawing those lines. But really, you know, following your state guidelines as well, um, because some states will say there is no communication enhancement coaching or anything if you're not licensed as a some. Um, professional in, okay. in the state. So you need to check that and make sure that we're staying within our ethical uh, role. (laughs) Yeah. And as much as telepractice opens the world for us, literally, Mm -hmm. as far as who we can work for, it's still, you know, those state and country laws, right, Mm -hmm. that we have to abide by all the rules and regulations that nobody can understand half of the time. (laughs) Um, That was one of my tasks to, you know, contact the state boards, read the rules, read the licensure laws and figure this out. It's like a gibberish um but we're really trying to make sure that we you know say within the scope of our practice as speech language pathologists but we're also adhering to whatever those rules and regulations and restrictions and whatever they are um not just on our license but other maybe professional licenses in other states and countries related to the work that we're trying to do so it's it's not easy. (laughs) And I think as our world expands, it becomes more complicated because speech language pathologists, when they started a private practice, they, you know, hunted out an office space and they set up shop and all of their clients came into their office. Right. And then we said, oh, we can do home visits. So let's go to their homes or maybe the other way around. I don't know. But just now, okay, we can see them online. Hmm. But can I just see clients in my state? No, Mm -hmm. I can see them in other states. Okay, how do I do that? Mm -hmm. So can I just see clients in my country? No, I can see them in other countries. How do I do that? So it's uh, very complicated. Yeah, and I think also knowing and making it clear and very transparent to your clients that you are not working in the role of a speech language pathologist in Mm -hmm. a clinical setting because there's nothing, you know, Disordered. Disordered. Thank yeah. you. Um, so making sure that you're you're effectively working with this individual or this group as a coach, a communication coach or whatever you want to call yourself, but um that you know there's no insurance related to this, there's yeah. there's no um claims or <laughs> medical mm-hmm. diagnoses or anything like that. So making sure right. that everyone is very clear about that. Well, I 
I know that uh, Adrian, you have to jump off in a little bit. So I wanted to to ask you guys uh, about the Corporate Speech Pathology Network. Give us a quick overview because because uh, it may not be as well known as it should be. And then I want us to get into the book. So I know you guys met uh, being uh, as a part of the network. So uh, tell us more about the network and and the benefits of of being involved. Yeah. So um, CoreSpan, the Corporate Speech Pathology Network, was founded by Katie Schwartz, one of our um, fellow um, speech language pathologists. And it is it is an international organization, um, not just with speech language pathologists from the U.S., but from we have members from Canada, Malaysia, um, Australia, and other um, countries as well. So we are completely virtual um, in the days before right. <laughs> Zoom and those things. It was all uh either via email or phone based. Um, And it is a group of only speech language pathologists, no other professionals that are either transitioned already into corporate SLP um, service delivery or are thinking about it or have had a full career in the healthcare or educational space and now want to do something different. Um, So there's people of all phases of um, their career or their journey within corporate speech pathologists and or speech pathology. And we have networking events. We now are able to um, host CEU events, which is nice. And all of the professional development um, CEU events are either business related or related to accent modification service delivery or how to um, enhance business communication skills um, or presentation skills with clients and um, or other other things related to giving clients <laughs> and uh, those types of things. And then, um, you know, it's a really good network of like-minded professionals. And that's what led Adrian and I to be able to meet and network and collaborate on several projects together. Um, anything else, Adrian, to add? Um, I'm a huge fan and advocate of <laughs> Course Band. Not only did I meet Sonia through there, but I've made <laughs> so many other friends, yes. not just, you know, for that professional collective connection and collaboration, but true friendships. And I like it because we meet on a regular basis. A lot of times you'll join an organization. It's like one conference a year or whatever Mm -hmm. the case may be, but we meet every single month, sometimes multiple times in a month. Obviously you're attending whatever you can, but it's no judgment, open communication, ideas flowing and sharing of knowledge and information. And it's a really support supportive group of people. Um, And I think anyone who is considering um, getting into corporate speech pathology definitely needs to join. Not that I'm I'm not getting paid for saying that, but seriously. (laughs) 
<laughs> it helped me so much. And did you get your quota in of how many members you've gotten in today? Is that it? <laughs> yeah, ten new members today. Kim, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> hey, well, you guys kind of told me I at one point had a dream of like being a speech language pathologist that worked for Disney, so I could like you know go to the parks for free and things like that. So maybe you guys have really you know opened the doors of how that could be a possibility. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, communication Donald, transcends all <laughs> every organization yes, needs it. Yes. And of course, Donald Duck does need a little help with his speech. And if you could you it could be you, Kim. It could be He's you. He's not the only one. True. <laughs> help all of the youth characters, right? Exactly. So yeah. this has been a great conversation, but I do want to talk about the book, which I have right here, and I've been reading myself. So I'm I'm a fan from the book as well. So Thank you. <laughs> How, so the book has come together. What what I have found so interesting is about this time that we're in right now. And it seems to be since COVID, when everyone was kind of reevaluating life and their work, mm -hmm. there seems to be this explosion of entrepreneurship. And, and you guys have sort of captured that wave at the, exactly the right time. So I, I just applaud what you've done with this book because it's really an incredible book and it's just full of information for anyone who's considering any type of entrepreneurship. But let's let's talk about the book. What you know, what was the the mission of the book, so to speak? Why did you want to do a book like this? Well, thank you, Todd, for reading our book. <laughs> we didn't pay him to do that for the record. <laughs> um, so Sonia, I'm definitely going to pass to her to answer this question for the most part. But it's interesting with the timeline of this book, because we were actually in conversations about writing it before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And then it just kind of fell into place at the right time. Surely we're trying to rush and finish it and get it out as sure. soon as possible. But because we felt it was timely. But as you can see, for those of you who are on social media, um, a lot of SLPs are kind of burnt out. And yeah, just unhappy, mm -hmm. dissatisfied with yep. their career path or their work setting and just looking for something different. Um, and I think just having the opportunity to explore whatever that different is for you is where this book really kind of fits in. Because if you are considering it, pick up the book and hopefully we can help you decide if this is right for you or not. If you've already decided, hopefully we can help you get there to whatever that next step is. So I'll pass it to Sonia with that. Yeah, you know, the the book, when we were approached to write the book, our publishing partner really wanted a book on private practice because that mm -hmm. was a need that they kept hearing over and over again. And when having us both <laughs> have private practices, which were traditional in different senses, um, mm -hmm. You know, we also knew that there was a vast amount of other things that you could do as well. So we didn't want to limit it just to private practice, but also other business alternative ventures that um, SLPs could embark upon. And we really feel that SLPs have this immense amount of knowledge and expertise and service delivery ability that is useful in 
any industry, for any individual, because of the things, the nature of what we work on. We work on communication, we work on eating and swallowing and voice and all sorts of things that are necessary for everyone on a daily basis. So there's really so much that we can do. And having telepractice or remote capabilities makes business that much easier or entrepreneurship that much easier, not only because, you know, Adrian's business or her private practice was all online, was all telepractice. I had that as an addition to the brick and mortar in-person services. And, you know, there was, it came in handy, yes, during the pandemic, but there's doctors that also would send patients to me because I was offering that when other people were not, and it just made sense for their patients. So not only for that type of service delivery, and we talk about service delivery in the book, so that being one of your options, right? But also, what is it that you want to do? There's so many different things that you can do, and using just your computer that's sitting right in front of you, right? And beyond, um, beyond the the actual clinical service delivery or corporate service delivery, mm-hmm. you know, networking and collaborating on projects and doing just what we're doing here. That's really important. And I think the the essence of being able to communicate virtually, no matter where we are in the world, is is great. And SLPs have a lot of skills and a lot to offer to the global society. We just were talking about this at ASHA um, mm-hmm. this past November, and that's what our talk was about, um, trying to help individuals really chart out a plan of what else can you do, whether it's for extra you know, financial income or whether it's just to have um, more of your passion projects really come to fruition. So- And I think what's important is that a lot of us um, don't wake up one day and say, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Right. (laughs) I think it just kind of happens. Right. right? Right. So you follow your passion and that's where it leads you. Like I was working as a senior manager for the organization that provided teletherapy services across the country. And I was like, well, I kind of like this management thing, getting back to business however many years later. Mm -hmm. And I went back to school for my MBA. but 90% or more of SOPs don't go to school for an MBA or any sort Mm -hmm. of business degree or business training. And so they, we don't really have that support of that business background or the knowledge to just, you know, go and start a business tomorrow. So we wanted to kind of fill in that gap. Sure. We can't, you know, solve everyone's problems, but we can give you information that maybe you don't know how to seek out for yourself or don't know where else to find it. So I think this is kind of, we wrote it from the lens of anyone can do anything they want, but they just need the support and information and guidance. And there are so many resources available to people such as us, speech language pathologists who don't have a business background at the local and state and federal level to get started. So having that entrepreneurial spirit and seeking out that information and really taking the steps to move forward is extremely important. Yeah. And I think, you know, it doesn't need to be grand right right out of the gates. It can be something small that you can slowly build up, or it can be something that you're doing in conjunction with whatever you're currently doing. So there, there's, if you have an idea, go after it. 
and you know hopefully we in the book we've laid out a way to to help you find that path to actually making it a real thing and awesome. what i what i also like about the book is that you guys not only just the text itself but you have additional resources and and downloadable things that forms and and other outlines and checklists and things like that that also are very very helpful and uh you guys just put so much work into this thing. It's it's really incredible. So I'm very. You very aren't excited. kidding, Todd. You aren't <laughs> <laughs> Todd, I'm getting an idea that maybe we need to have like a telepractice today book club. Maybe we do. Yeah, and we could read. Yeah. This, and this could be read our first some book. of these and have a discussion, and you know, have that be like maybe a Patreon thing or something like that. Hey, I'm I'm liking this. I'm liking who, this. Who? <laughs> okay, we might have to work this out, Kim. Yep. Yep. Well, well, Adrian, I know you have to leave us. And so, um, thank you guys. And I just will, we can get, they can get a copy of the book from plural publishing, uh, go to www.worldpublishing.com and, uh, and they can get a copy of the book, but how can people reach out to you guys, uh, if they want to, um, just say hello or get more information or check out your services? Interesting you say that, Todd, because our email address is actually hello at the SLPentrepreneur.com. But they can go to our website, the SLPentrepreneur.com um, to just learn more about the book itself, but also what we offer as far as building community and helping people who want to take that next step and see where their career or future entrepreneurial endeavors might lead them. Great. Wonderful. Well, thank you guys for joining us and, and best of luck with the book and everything else that you guys are doing. Thank you so much for thank having you us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. This was lovely. Well, thank you, Sonia and Adrian, for joining us on the podcast. Please go check out their book, The SLP Entrepreneur, available at Plural Publishing. We'll have details in the show notes. Uh, it is a wealth of information. And if you are thinking about doing something on your own, uh, being an entrepreneur, starting your own private practice, whatever the case may be, you need this book. It is just incredible. So that's my endorsement. And uh, thank you for joining us on this episode. If you don't mind, go over there and leave us a five-star review on. If you don't mind, go over there and wherever you access this podcast and leave us a five-star review. That helps us attract new listeners. It does really matter when you do that. It does help out. So small favor, if you don't mind, leave us those reviews. And we'll be back again next week with another exciting guest on Telepractice Today. Until then, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.